hello to all the parents and stewards of the next generation. My name is Megan Barella, and I love this quote from Rumi that says, when someone asks what there is to do, light the candle in their hand. This little light up by. <laughs> Hello, hello, and welcome to the Woke Wisdom Podcast with Alexandra Loves. That's me. I'm here with my furry cosmic guardian, Cyrus Mbisu, joyfully coming to you from the moon garden, where wisdom is nourished, awakening is embraced, and fun is encouraged. Parents and caregivers, this episode is going to rock your world. And as a longtime caregiver myself, I felt like what our guests today shared with me uh, helped me fall back in love with the possibilities of uh, love and personal evolution that comes with raising children. But before that, welcome. If you're new to the podcast, uh, welcome to this woke wisdom audio space and welcome back to those who have been listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can find us on social media as woke wisdom podcast on the platforms. And if you're looking for me, I'm Alexandra loves on Facebook or tranquil badassery on Instagram. Every other week we have guests on this podcast. And then the other weeks, the episodes are all single episodes with yours truly. If you want to know more about why we gather here in this audio space, I highly, highly, suggest that you go listen to the first episode of this podcast called orientation some awareness about this episode my guests and i do talk about child abuse we don't get into specific details but it is mentioned several times as well as a little insight to processing abuse as an adult my guest is megan barella and for the last decade she has helped parents and caregivers stop cycles of yelling power struggles, and emotional breakdowns in their family. As a mom, teacher, and positive parenting coach, Megan empowers families to let go of fear-based discipline practices, heal their family line, and soothe their stress levels. And you can join her in her Facebook group, which is Parenting for the Next Generation, and I'll put that in the show notes, and learned about her complimentary positive parenting events and happy home coaching programs at meganbrella.com. So let's take a deep breath. And welcome, my guest, Megan Barella. Megan, welcome. <laughs> Thank you it's for being so here <laughs> on you. this spring day. It's almost spring. Portland is almost here with the spring. <laughs> Smells like spring out there. Yeah, yeah. We're so blessed. <laughs> if you could be an animal or non human, what would you be and why? I would be a unicorn because they have that element of magic, but they have this inner strength strength, and they're very majestic. And, you know, they can also fly away from this earthly reality, whatever yeah. they would like to. Yeah, I would like to have a break sometimes. They say meditation and, you know, there's things like you know, float tanks and, eh, you know, just closing your eyes and breathing. But if you're a unicorn, yeah. I mean... I would like that option too. <laughs> yes. There's this book uh, from my childhood that's about a unicorn and they're dancing on moonbeams. <gasps> Is it, do you remember the name of the book? It's called Sarah's Unicorn. Sarah's Unicorn. There was one that we had, I think it was 
a book of the movie, The Last Unicorn? Yes. Do you remember that movie? It's like one of my favorite movies. I'm going to watch that soon, I think, because I, I, there were things that was one of those childhood, my earliest childhood memory movies. Yeah. And I just remember this thing where, you know, the skeleton with the bones and the like the drunk skeleton or whatever at some point in that movie. It's really, he's like riddling or something and he's really scary. And it's the only part of the movie that I found really scary. And it was like so scary. I remember trembling, but I would watch that movie incessantly over and over, over again, knowing that I was going to experience some kind of fear, but knowing I'm just going to get through this so that I can watch this movie that I'm totally in love with. What an amazing practice. (laughs) I don't know if it was good for me or not, but. That was my experience with the last unicorn. Yeah, the never-ending story. I actually had to leave the movie theater when the horse and the, I started yelling at my mom, screaming, "Why did you bring me to this?" <laughs> so I get the movies. Oh my gosh! Everything for a kid is so heightened. <laughs> uh, Megan, is there something this? year that you learned about yourself this year that you could share with us? Yeah, I think I learned a lot about my extrovert and introvert tendencies Mm -hmm. because I'm an extrovert with introvert tendencies. And having that balance is really key to my life. My work is really social and outpouring. Mm -hmm. And then I really need my hermit introspection time. Um, This year I moved um, to Northwest Portland and my son and I have our own place. And before that, we were actually in community. We lived with another single mom and family. And so that, that now this year, I feel like maybe I've become a little too introverted in certain ways. Um, Yeah. So I've been more exploration on what, how I'm going to feel the most supported and nurtured and also have that inner vitality in the way that I support myself and my, the way I'm setting up my day to day. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like, um, what, what kind of made you notice that? Because I've definitely gone through those, those phases as well, where I'm just like, Oh, I haven't really sought out people for, you know, sometimes it'll be like almost a month. And, you know, of course, like I'll talk on the phone just a little bit or whatever, but just seeking out actual being in the space with, with like people that are, you know, my people, the people I vibrate with and everything, I'll just forget. So like what kind of opened your mind to like, Ooh, I'm getting really introverted. Yeah. I kind of look at sometimes it's like, is this introverted? Is this self-care? Is this relaxing? Hmm. Is this a little bit of depression, especially <laughs> as we know in the Portland winters? Yes. And then really what, what the pandemic, I mean, the pandemic has highlighted so many things, but just for me personally, it's like, what kind of life do I want to be living? Mm-hmm. Is my life really holed up in my cute little home? And not talking to anyone, or do I want to have this life of adventure of just going out in the world, talking to people on the street, you know, all, all those things, um, being out in nature, like really what is that essence of what I want my daily life to look like? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand that. That that introspection, um, that that introspection where sort of like if I were to ask myself those questions, I, I, I might not get all the answers like right then and there, but I feel like that type of introspection gives space for like you know your real you, your spirit to just be like hey, this is, this is what we've been trying to tell you. And this is what your intuition has been saying to you (laughs) for a while. Yes. And that's why that introspection, I mean, really when it comes down to it, it's just the way I look at it, it's me and my, you know, divine connection, however I see it. But then also, um, yeah, when the silence in the solitude, when I'm called to dance more, get out in nature, you know, all those things, then yeah, yeah I guess that's just the listening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what are you up to, to the, these days that you're, that you feel most aligned with, like aligned with your spirit? Yeah. I, I love raising a teenager. It's <laughs> yeah. My son is 13 and I'll tell you 12 was a big transition. I was like, how do I wrap my brain around. I don't have this little child. I have this little man child now under my roof, but now I'm like, this is, and back to like the adventure of life. Like this is the time when I can share experiences with my son. And I feel what we know about the teenage brain is they do, they are kind of wired for adrenaline. So how can I actually share these experiences with our community? How can I create experiences for kids to like be on the edge of life in a really safe and supported way and to have fun and so that feels really aligned we're signing we're doing a lot of camping and we're going to do some festivals working festivals this summer yeah we should wow. <laughs> I, I gotta say Megan the dominant thought and the the sort of things we like to joke about is how difficult it is to raise and how annoying or how, you know, how frustrating it is to raise teenagers. And there's a lot of negativity around having, you know, a teenage boy in the house. And like, uh, so to hear you say that this is, you know, harnessing, understanding the energy and where he's at developmentally and to like harness that and, and create fun out of that is like so refreshing. And wow. and maybe also just a little bit of a wake up call when it when it comes to, you know, how we categorize teenagers in the phases that they're they're going through and maybe not put them in a box and <laughs> not to say that it isn't hard for some people have a lot of challenges, you know, in their in their families. I'm just saying like there's there's other ways to to look at it. We don't always have to think of this as a as a, um, a you know, the worst part of <laughs> the childhood. <laughs> No. And you know, every family's unique with the stressors that families are facing, but that's part of my goal is, well, of course we want to raise secure and socially conscious children who are contributing members in their community and don't have to carry a lot of the doubt that we had. Um, But really a lot of the work I do is to make sure parents have smooth sailing teen years. It doesn't have to, it really does come down to communication and the way each parent leads uniquely and how we're listening to our kids. And when it is, it's very important when to set those boundaries for respect and when it's just time to do this and, and all those things. So yeah, the teenager has been really fun so far. 
Yay. Uh, thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that. And, um, I'm sure that's inspiration to many of us. And, you know, I don't have kids yet, but I'll, I'll, I'll draw on this and remember on the hard days yeah, <laughs> when it happens. Definitely. And laughter, laughter has yes. got to be part of the teen years because I mean, most of my kids today are so funny. They, yeah. <laughs> what drew you to working with children and focusing on, you know, guiding and supporting parents? Yeah, well, you know, I come from a family of of teachers and I'm the oldest and I started babysitting when I was, you know, 12. And then um, I've always worked with kids and went to, you know, I, I became a, I studied education. Um, and so kids have just, I mean, they, it's just always been part of my life of, mm-hmm. of working with children. And also after, well, it was really after my son born that that switch towards, I feel like when my son was about 18 months old, I heard his little baby spirit whisper in my ear, if you really want to serve children, help their parents. And <laughs> And then my sister was like, why don't you become certified in positive discipline? And I did that. So that was like 10 years ago. Um, And a big part of my calling is to make sure that kids can grow up with with felt safety, with emotional Mm -hmm. safety in in their homes, because I didn't have that. So Uh that is a big part of of Mm -hmm. my calling. Um, And I feel like that is, that's my purpose. Yeah. I, so this idea of emotional safety, I'm glad you're bringing this up. This is really important. I think because there are things that I discovered just in my own upbringing, like, like I, I would say I grew up pretty privileged. You know, my, my parents were always supportive. They were, you know, I, I didn't lack for anything in my childhood. I grew up overseas, traveled the world. Like they were in, they were so involved. And, um, I, from what I remember, I don't, I don't think I experienced like shaming or anything like that. However, even in my, in my bubble of, of privilege, there was still like, I was a very emotional, sensitive and, um, I mean, all children are spiritual, but I think, you know, now that I look back, I realized that like I was communicating with like ancestors and stuff. And so I had like an ad, sort of a, that was one of the gifts that, that I particularly had, you know, children have all have all sorts of gifts. And I think there was like emotionally that my parents didn't have the tools, the best tools to deal with like such an acutely emotional child. And you know, they did their very best. I have no regrets. Like, I think they did a great job, but looking back in some of the stuff that I, I struggle with now, I realize is that they just didn't know. And, and so, and that was in a privileged situation. The, the, some of the issues I have now, there's a wide range uh, of kids who grow up in, in situations that, you know, are like, very difficult, very challenging, and not honoring to the to to a child uh, abusive situation. So I'm wondering, like, what? How was your childhood, and like, 
did it influence your passion and what seems like it what seems like a a purpose in your life to be guiding and helping um families yeah i mean in a huge way and first if you don't mind if we could just take a moment to celebrate your parents because from what you <laughs> shared on facebook like when you have the costumes on and i'm like oh there's just you can tell the sweetness and the fun and the play um and it's really inspiring to oh, to see them so I, you know, I'll say to the listeners, my, Meg and I are friends, um, on social media too. And my family and I have a history of dressing up in costumes. So I will, the picture she's talking about, I will post in the Instagram and the, and the Facebook. <laughs> that's it's funny. Just, I mean, you feel the, yeah, the love and the connection, the fun. Oh, so, that's so sweet. Thank you. Yeah. You're so welcome. Um, and yeah, I guess my childhood was just complex. And so it allows me to deal with a lot of complexities that are in families and the layers. Like I loved my mom, my mom, she passed away in 2014 and yeah. And, um, she was just a cool, like, kind of like a free spirit, kind of artistic, but also really like science person, um, really beautiful soul. Her friends were really important to her. The things that I love and value most about life came from my mom. Um, yeah. And yet she allowed, um, our, my father to sexually abuse me and right under her roof. And she never to her. And it ultimately her lack of forgiveness for herself Mm -hmm. manifested physically in her cancer. And, you know, I was always in when she was dying and like the month before she left, she said, she was in a very lucid state. It was, it was a part of it was actually, I mean, it was, it was very, uh, before the chemo, uh, she started chemo. It was really a very holy time where she was doing a lot of soul searching and she, and that gate was really open as she was preparing. And one day she just looked out in the distance and she said, you know, Megan, I was just always intimidated by you as a child. And I was like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much for sharing this because this fills in a lot of blocks around my issues. And, you know, of course, in my head, and I, I didn't say it, I probably said other things that maybe I, you know, were a little um, reactive, but in my head, I'm like, well, I always thought that I, I always felt like I was the parent in the home. And so oh as gosh. the oldest child, taking a lot of responsibility because both of my parents were very childlike in their lack of ability to be responsible and to really protect their children. And so I took that on as a, you know, as a young child um, and probably took a lot of responsibility for the things that happened. But, you know, it allowed me what, what families say when I'm working with them is that, well, everything begins with compassion, you know, our compassion for ourselves, like we offer other people. And then from that, you know, we build the empowerment piece and then that's where the transformation happens. That's my childhood gave me that. And I resisted it. I was very angry for a long time because I didn't want to say that anything good came out of my childhood. But the reality is, is when I realized, well, I don't have to say that, and this is the complexities. I don't have to say that that was positive that was happened. And I can connect with my own gifts. Yeah. 
and the divine guidance that I had because spirit was always with me. And I, and so that process of how trauma warps our gifts into coping mechanisms and then how we write the path. (laughs) (laughs) Say it again. I I can't. She's like channeling the mother spirit right now, everybody. She's about to drop some more. <laughs> Listen up. Oh my God. Yes. Thank you. So I do get pumped about that. And, you know, sometimes my childhood really does. I, you know, I deal with, I, I don't know. I, I like to call it everyone has to make sense of their own life the way that they feel called to make sense. And for Uh me, it hasn't been in my benefit to put a label on myself. And for other people, Mm. that is what brings them the healing. For me, right? For me, I say it's the experience of depression, the experience of anxiety, the experience of PTSD. I've experienced all of that on my journey. So, but that's just one part of my experience. Yeah. And I, you know, thank you for sharing something so vulnerable about, about your past and your, your journey through it as, you know, as a grown woman now, or, you know, we say we're grown, (laughs) we're just really big kids. (laughs) (laughs) We're just pretending to be adults. Um, (laughs) but, um, one thing I want to go back to that you said that I think is so important and it's something that's being broken up in our awareness right now is this, this idea for the longest time, what we were taught was healing, you know, was, was, or what people were saying was healing was, was finding a way to think positively about something that might have, what's the positive spin, look at the bright side. And it's like, it's like, no, you, I know that I have been buried by that before when I've been looking for seeking healing or reconciling something in my past, or even something that might be happening right now. And thank you for giving that permission and that reminder that it's okay to not like something that happened to think, to, to be like that, that wasn't okay. And we don't need to go beyond that. It's not okay. I didn't like that. It sucked. And we don't have to change it into something that it wasn't (laughs) or pretend. Exactly. And that whatever people listening who've experienced on whatever level, things that have been negative, damaging, traumatic, you have a right to be angry. That yeah. is a natural human response. And then we get to work with that anger. I really identify with the term tragic optimism because <laughs> I do feel positive. You know, people say oh, I'm bubbly and cheerful and maybe that has been a lot of my survival. Like I had to mm-hmm. focus on the positive too, to some extent, yeah. but also being real that Mm, the human reality is deeply flawed and full of pain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I read this book once. I think it's called Conversations with God and Uncommon Dialogue. Uh, it's a great book. And and he was talking about a concept that I'm sure we find in many inter- iterations in many different philosophies. And he was talking about pain 
because the question was like, well, how do we allow like thing like all the Holocaust that have happened on this world and all the all the abuse and all the pain in this world? Like, how can God, you know, allow this to happen? That that age old question, right? And it was like the answer was was about this binary which does exist there's of course it's not the only thing binary is not the only thing exists but it it was talking about sort of the the primal parts of creation and it was saying like well if how would you know about the dark if there was not light you know how would you define up if if there was not down or you know stuff like that and i was like that's really interesting and i applied it he was talking about he started talking about the pain and he was like you know you you would you would not, if you have the capacity, basically you're saying, if you have the capacity for this pain, then you also have this capacity for, for pleasure. And, it, you know, people can apply that philosophy and how, however they want. But I know that part of like my own healing when it came to like pain and things that have happened is like, wow, look at the capacity I have to feel, you know, and, and it helped me, you know, it didn't make the pain better, but it did help me um, turn my my attention more to like, okay, like what are other things that I can focus on and celebrate my capacity to feel that I actually do enjoy in my life, and and you know though I don't think it's necess- I don't think it's necessary or okay for somebody to go through um, pain. I'm I'm really grateful that we as humans can feel the whole spectrum. Right. Right. Otherwise, what are we doing here? (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, it's back to, were you saying that like back to the whole introverted extroverted thing? Yeah. I, I feel like, and I'm so glad we're having this, like it's, it's just bringing a lot of healing to my journey. So thank you. Um, But, you know, that's part of it. It's like just accepting like, oh, I, I've already experienced the pain. So it's like that whole idea that however bad it was, we mm-hmm. have that much goodness coming back to us. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, am I really living or am I afraid that, you know, I'll experience pain again? Yeah. And I, I'll be honest, it's a big thing. I, I feel like the limits I put on myself to experiencing joy and love those limits come from the fear of pain. Ooh. Oh, gosh. Do you, I feel like I saw a lot of that during the, did you notice that when it came to this pandemic? Did, like a lot of people having this operating out of the fear of death or pain. Yeah. I, I felt like I saw, you know, uh, no matter what quote unquote side you're on vaccine or not, what, you know, what's real or not, you know, analyzing the information that, that we're, we're given, you know, science or not, you know, all that stuff, what, whatever it is. I felt like I saw a lot of people in my communities who I had a lot of respect for and usually respect their opinions and what they say. I felt like I saw people express their fears and their pain about this subject um, towards people who are not doing what they thought they should do, whether it's get vaccine, don't get a vaccine or, you know, 
being staying at home and wearing the mask or not. And the th- instead of instead of the expression of like this is how I feel and this is what I was seeing these like people saying nasty things and like um, bullying things and sometimes even just just like straight up purging um, online. And I, and I heard some of those things being said in person and I'm like, where does that, where does that come from? Like, these are people that I I generally respect. A lot of them are in spiritual communities and call themselves healers. And I'm just like, I understand if you feel strongly, but it's not necessary to take people down. And after like really sitting with it, I was like, is this because people are, is this coming from a fear place? Right. Are they, is it because they're afraid to die? Is it because they're afraid that, you know, they're, you know, we all have concerns, of course, but it felt like so deep about dying, like fear, you know, dying or, or losing something. It was um, really difficult to watch. Yeah. It was like the layers, what was happening um, to people losing their lives. And then the, yeah, exactly what you said, how people deal with fear and that, that, that judgment mm. becomes a coping mechanism of people trying to maintain safety and control in a very unsafe place. But I totally agree. It was, um, it was the start. It was sad to watch because I just feel like, honestly, I'm not going to pretend like I know, like, especially with something like COVID, like this, they're saying, we don't know. We're learning things all the time. We don't know. So it's, yes, that was a huge trend. Like we're trying to cling on to whatever we can to feel safe. Um, and I, it was sad to see, yeah, like just the judgment and the polarization. Like, I'm just not going to say I know where this is going or yeah. what, you know? Yeah, there's a lot on that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I mean, and it comes back to what, what you were saying about the, about how we, how we cope. And, you know, if, if we are, what I'm understanding just from my own experience, I feel like it's something that you, you, you are touching on here is that, is that, you know, we it doesn't help us to, to ignore the pain. Right. And, and it's really important that we understand how the, the unaddressed pain turns into the coping mechanism, <laughs> turns into the coping mechanism that then forms our, our life. Uh, but there's something very freeing about acknowledging like, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose somebody. I'm afraid that I'm going to die. I, um, I am afraid that something is going to be taken away from me. I, um, I'm afraid that if I let go and really enjoy, have joy in my life or happiness in my life in this way, or, or manifest my dream, you know, be on the path to manifesting my dreams, that, um, that there's something about that I can't do it without really immersing myself in this pain. Cause I don't know how to let it go. And it's, it's formed you know, part of who I am is, it's quite complex, uh, especially in these times, like with all the pressure that's on us right now. Mm-hmm. It really is. And it's like when, when the pain comes from evil, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's interesting living in Portland. Cause we're, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like Portland is kind of like an embracing of 
some aspects of physical pain, like maybe tattoos and, and piercings. Mm. And it's just, you know, as you were talking, just the, the depth of the human emotion and that pain and pleasure actually have some overlap when there is safety, but I'm not like, I don't have a tattoo. I just got my ears pierced for my niece's 15th birthday this past September. Wow. Like the avoidance of pain, but I had a natural home birth. Like I don't mind (laughs) pain (laughs) between when it's like me and spirit, but yeah, I just find that just what you were sharing, that relationship between pain and pleasure. But then when pain is evil, it's like, like, I'm not going to go out and seek pain. Like life is painful enough. Ha, right there, that right there. I'm not gonna go out and see pain. Life is painful enough. <laughs> That's so real, Megan. <sighs> yeah. But I don't need to hide in my bedroom to avoid it. And you know. Yes, and then there's the awareness again. We just came full circle, yeah. right? Thank you. Thank you for that. So, okay, back to kids. Mm-hmm. How does the era that you were raised in. So, you know, I'm 39. So I, you know, I was basically going to school in like probably 86, you know, late, uh, mid to late eighties through the, through the nineties. And, you know, as in my formative years, how does the area that you're raised in different? Oh, hi little kitty. I have a cat on my lap right now too, but if I move him, he'll stand on the keyboard and turn off the podcast. (laughs) He has a, he has some habits. (laughs) Um, but, uh, so my question is how, how is the era that you were raised in differ from now? Of course, there's many things, but you know, I'm sure there's some things that are are blaringly obvious to you and influence the, the work that you do. Yeah. I mean, the eighties, I'm, I'm 45. So yeah. So I was really like a kid of the eighties. And Uh one thing it's funny because my son, occasionally he would say, I wish I was a kid in the eighties. Kind of, kind of not, you know, (laughs) because there was that freedom. I mean, I just went out on my bike. Oh, Sorry, cat disruption. <laughs> we just, I mean, kids just went out. We, it was like, be home before it's dark. Come home if you're hungry. There might be food there. You might need to grab yourself something. And I, I feel like we can learn a lot from that aspect of the era when that freedom is rooted in trust and being emotionally available for our kids right. when they need it. I mean, that independence, I was you know, back to babysitting. I remember being 12 years old and it was two o'clock in the morning. People I was babysitting for weren't home yet. Like I would never, my, my son would, that would not be where his comfort level is. So I feel like Mm. kids today, like I, and I don't, I don't know if you relate to this, but kids in the eighties seemed more competent and capable of daily life functioning in a way that this children, this generation hasn't had an opportunity to develop, which does kind of bother me. There is, um, 
you know, there's the stranger danger movement. I mean, 90, being a child mm-hmm. sexual abuse survivor, 90% of child abuse happens by someone we know. And so this whole yeah. afraid to let our kids have freedom, like we live in Northwest and granted, I do have a 13 year old, but my, my son, it's like, go, just go, go have fun with your friends. And, yes. and also with screens because parents are busier. We, they have more stressors. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the main thing that I do love from the eighties is that kids were able to develop life skills through independence. Now, what I don't love is, um, the, the fear and the conformity in the eighties, the lack of consciousness that was part of the eighties and this generation of Yeah. It's like this generation of kids, even though they might have not have had the opportunity to develop some practical life skills as much as maybe, you know, we did being, you know, the ages that we are. Yes. Consciousness of children today. They know that people are born with human rights the way that. Oh, yeah. People should be treated. Yeah. And they're, they're ready to use their voice to advocate for change. And that, that is a beautiful thing. If we could just combine the two. Oh my God. I know. Just like, there's so much opportunity. Okay. So I'm loving what you're saying and um, uh, help me figure out this, this conflict. Maybe you can help me figure out this conflict in my mind. I agree with you. I spend a lot of time with, with children. I've always been teaching, nannying, you know, co-parenting all the, or uh, sorry, I, when I say co-parenting, I mean, I have, I don't have my own kids. I've not been with somebody who has kids, but, um, I've had nanny jobs where I am literally the major parent. So I, I used to call that co-parenting. Some people accept that they don't. So just I giving do. people an idea. <laughs> I'm a caregiver. In fact, I, I was a nanny as well. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Right. So, um, so I've been in, in those positions and okay. So we have this, this, these generations that are very conscious of human rights and are very much like nonconformist in, in many ways. And also they are sort of plugged in to the internet way more than we even had the opportunity because we, we didn't have internet like that. Right. And so are these things conflicting? Because what I see coming out of the screens is um, ways to program children, right? Ways to to sort of dumb down and box in their heads. Yet there's still these these kids who are nonconformists and like understand, like have a deeper understanding of human rights. So. These two things seem like they're in conflict to me. What do you think? Yeah, it's again, so complex. I I totally agree with you. I think, you know, and going back to the pandemic, I I am not a conspiracy theory person in any Uh way. Yeah. I always say, what's the, what's the conspiracy theory? Evil, humans, you know, evil tries to run the world, you know? (laughs) We could just acknowledge it and then, yeah. (laughs) Um, 
But we can't also say that there hasn't been an increase in screen time. I noticed it for myself. Mm -hmm. I never watched Netflix in the last year. The whole um, binge watch. I'm like, oh my gosh, I get it now. And I see how, oh, it just, oh, the 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 self um almost more robotic i yeah, mean all, brain off. right all the big tech tech people they don't allow their kids you know they don't allow their kids access to those articles yes yeah they want their kids to be creators not consumers so i think that it is in conflict and i do have I feel like sometimes my views on media are are almost unpopular now because the reality is, is that even before the pandemic, we -hmm. were using screens as babysitters. Yes. Parents are stressed. They need to check out. They need to. But the reality is that screens, not only those long, long long-term effects, um, but also (laughs) the longer our kids are on screens, the more likely that they're going to have negative behavior when they, when they get off. So, you know, how do we, yeah. Right. How do we use the, what I always is like empowering parents to not just like, let it happen to come into the place of conscious choice where we're controlling the screens. They're not controlling us. And to do that, what I've found is that we have to use the technology against itself. Like I'm not going to depend on myself because then the self-judgment comes in. I should be able to monitor this and that. It's like, no, I set up the apps that shut down my social media after 30 minutes every day. And if I want, or if I need more time, as you said earlier, those of us, I, I would love to just have a landline and a flip phone. That would be yeah, my dream. That would be ideal. <laughs> but I run a business off social media, you know? So use the technology and delay, delay, delay. My, I mean, I've been anti, I've been studying the effects of media on children since the 90s. You know, and part oh, of wow. me is like, what did I even go, let's go back to the nineties. What was wrong with that? But even then we knew the effects of media and screen time on children's behavior. And this is like next level. So, yeah. um, yeah, delay, delay, delay. Don't be, my son does not have access to the un, unlimited internet. He has, yeah. and I love this phone gab wireless. He just has talk text. He has his school Chromebook that is monitored. Plus I have filters on our internet, like, Mm -hmm. and we have gotten into more screen time, definitely in the pandemic that we're kind of weaning off of. Um, But we have to, long story short, don't be afraid to like take the lead and to Mm -hmm. use the technology features to control what we know is as addictive for the human brain as heroin. You know what? I think I feel a little, this is a theme in this podcast I get called out (laughs) I mean not like you're trying to call me out but I just feel like in a good way because yeah I run my business on online and in the pandemic I definitely watched more movie I love movies so much and I love comedy so much and I definitely as I'm working through my own stuff you know I'm working through PTSD and and working through some pretty deep things like very consciously right like that's always happening but like I have a special focus on it right now and I feel myself like kind of medicating with the screens 
And I'll tell you, the last time I was in this phase where I was watching this many screens was like in my early 30s. I just went through a phase and I got one of those apps that did the thing that you're talking about, where it's like, you can only watch this much in a, you know, in a day or whatever. And I went through a tantrum cycle for like a week. Like I was just like, what? Like, I just want this thing that helps me turn my brain off and gives me just enough dopamine that I can, you know, it was like an addiction. Right. And I've noticed that about myself too. And maybe now, and you know, I do want to be a creator and not so much of a consumer, but I'll tell you, I think I consume a little more than I'm, I'm creating. And that's not good for the work I'm here to do on this planet. And it makes the businessy part of my work a little harder. Um, so I think I might be getting one of those and kind of setting up a challenge for myself with, with, you know, how do I balance the things I do online for my work and my business and, and how much time I actually spend on it. Um, so thank you for that. Well, <laughs> that I'm saying it to myself. I really identify with that medicated, you know, I feel like that. And also give yourself grace. We're coming out of the Portland winter and, Ooh, yes. you know, for any okay. of us making changes in our lives, do it when the window's open, the window, we're yes. going to be in this time of beautiful weather. And so, yes. yes, I'm actually, as we're talking, I'm like, yes, that's when, you know, the, the change is going to happen. And also if we know as adults with fully developed brains that we're struggling with this, I'm struggling with this, then mm-hmm. that that burden for our kids and their developing brains. A friend of mine said something to me that like, it stays with me. I mean, it stays with me. Um, Mm -hmm. He said, you know, we're going to have a generation of kids that do everything on their computer. They work on their computer. They order their groceries on their computer. They have sex on their computer. They Mm -hmm. it's, they're not going to leave. And, um, Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not going to be everybody, but yeah, that really more than anything, just wanting our kids to enjoy real life. And that's one of the balance indicators that I set for families. Does your child enjoy real life? We don't want to rob our kids of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, oh. I mean, I was thinking about recently a lot of the, you see even like even online, you, you know, people are talking about like, this isn't real, just so you know, like, I always love those, those people who are, who have their promotional videos or whatever. And they're like reminding you, like, while you're, it's so, it's so what we call meta, right? It's like, you're watching them online and they're telling you, remember that online is not real, <laughs> you know? And, um, I was talking to my friend who uh, has suffers from anorexia and has her whole life. And she's about my age. So well, she's a little younger. And uh, so she was a kid growing up in like the early nineties and stuff, which also did not have as much internet as we do now, obviously. And she was like, she's like, yeah, like now what I have, they didn't call it this they weren't calling it this back then, but she was suffering from what you would call body dysmorphia and other things that come with anorexia. But she said the big thing was the body dysmorphia. And she said something that she said, I, she had to spend all this time. She's, it got, 
it was getting better. And then as we got more into the era of like constantly being online and, and she had like a relapse in during the pandemic because she was spending all her time on the computer. And she, she knew that like being on the internet was, excuse me, a big, um, what do you call it? Like a trigger for her. And she said she was doing so well because she wasn't looking at online for many years. You know, she just knew it was growing and she was like, I'm not going to be a part of this. And when we went stay at home orders, all of a sudden, all of the humans that she was looking at were like actresses whose job is to be as small as possible and as perfect as possible. And she was looking at all of the filters on people's faces, perfect skin. And she was also being influenced by, you know, there's a lot of our American culture that's like, oh, you want to be that? Then you could just be that. You, you know, there's, you know, ju it's just like that. It just happens like this. You, you, there's no work towards it. So it's just like, oh, how can I get there as quickly as possible? Basically is what she was, you know, get to where she, her mind is telling her she needs to be as quickly as possible. And she said that it was her body dysmorphia that part of her anorexia and there's another part that I'm not going to get into that of her anorexia that came back, came back. Like it was the beginning again. She was like, I, I relapsed in a way that, uh, was, was very shocking. And I can't believe that I even went back there. Um, and it was just because of being on the screen, you know, it made me really sad. I mean, she got the help that she needed and, and, um, and obviously got, got offline to yeah. help herself. But going back to how we originally started talking about this, your what your friend is saying, like, yeah, I hear that. And I'm also like praying that this generation that is so con like so consciously aware of human rights and, you know, dispelling these labels and boxes we get put into, I'm just like, Okay, if we would talk about evil, I believe that there is this force of evil that wants to keep us on, you know, online, online, online. But I also am noticing, and I know you've seen it, this big focus into coming back to the old ways, the earth ways, the indigenous ways, the spirit ways, the the working with ancestors, breaking cycles, breaking cycle. You you and I are in the generation of like many people learning like how to break the cycles, right? And and so I, my prayer a lot of the time is just like, I, I hope that we get it like what we call a critical mass of people who, who are, who's conscious that these, these generations are so conscious and so aware that, that they get swept up into, into focus on the earth and focus on to organic ways and for, focus on, you know, work with the ancestors or whatever it looks like for them and makes, makes sense for their spirit and their codes and, you know, their blood and, and everything. That's, that's what I, I really pray for, for, so that we don't end up with a, with a critical mass of people who are living their lives completely on the computer. Thank you for holding that vision. And I really, feel that when you're saying, um, yeah. And that's when it's really called upon, you know, us and mm. whatever, if people are parents or caregivers or just like, you know, consider themselves stewards or teachers, you know, um, some of the most instrumental people 
that I've had as teachers haven't had their own children and what a space that is um, for, it's just for all of us to come together and how we're guiding the next generation. They need our guidance. They need us to hold that vision Mm-hmm. for them and to align their discipline practices in that way. Um, as we were talking of that limitless potential within a child, that each child is here with a divine purpose, with gifts to lead. And really that's that's what parenting and caregiving is about, is that unfolding of what mm-hmm. that child needs. And so they don't have to doubt themselves and listening to your, the introduction to your podcast, breaking up those systems that have caused pain and the discipline, um, the model of discipline has caused a lot of pain. And so that's, yeah, what I get, you know, really excited, excited isn't the right word called to change. Well, I've seen you talk about it. So you're very passionate. It's like so obviously uh, part of your spiritual path to me anyway, when I, that's how I reflect it. When I see you talk about it and see your consistency and with it. Yeah. Well, you know, some of, yes, definitely. And it's where more and more I'm realizing my focus areas, you know, in positive discipline, my background, we say discipline, the root of the word means to teach. I always thought discipline meant oh. to punish, you know, and um, this is what um, indigenous ways of life have always known that mm-hmm. we treat children as the sacred gifts that they are. Mm-hmm. Um And that's what discipline is about. And for me on my journey, um, I've, I've had a lot of guidance teachers and mentors who I've been able to, to really learn from, um, Hmm. that have shown me that the way the mainstream American way of raising children is, is not where it's at. Um, (laughs) I agree. There's um, just being in and out of houses. Like I, I I will say I've, I've had and having an amazing experience in, in most of the houses that I've been in, but I've also seen a lot of um, sort of, the exact opposite of what, like, if you're talking about like indigenous ways, there's rites of passage and there's basic values that are, that are very intrinsic to like how nature works, like respect being part of a community. There's the rites of passage and, and practices that would just be in a family or community system that people would learn and pass on to their kids and because we, we don't have that culture, you know, we're in this big melting pot that seems to just strip away, strip us away from our, our, our true natures and our culture. Uh, sometimes, um, I've seen in a lot of homes, like the, like ways of being that just honestly can really create entitlement can create children who don't know how to deal with themselves sourcing from, from others when it's really important for them to source from themselves unaware of boundaries. And, and it's not like, I look at it, I see how it's happening. I'm like, this isn't like the parent's fault, quote unquote, 
you know, it's that they just don't know it's because these are accepted things in our American culture. And how was that created? How was our, our, if you look at the seeds of how our culture here was created, it's not pretty, it's murderous. It's, it's pretty grisly and it's evil to, I mean, to be really honest, our American culture. Mm -hmm. So of course, of course, like we would unconsciously in how we do everything, including the, the basic values and, and the way we interact with our kids will continue to deteriorate. And here, here we are. (laughs) And that, that reality of, um, the true history of this country, it begins in the home. Yeah. Um, one of our, our family friends and, um, my mentor, um, is a Lakota elder and he, you know, yeah, shares which, um, how, and Lakota ways of like, like the child was never hit. The child was never spanked. That came Mm, from the oppressors. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just reading, uh, God is a black woman by Christina Cleveland, Dr. Christina Cleveland. And it's a really interesting book. And one of the things that she is talking about is like how spanking, like just the straight up abuse of your kids with like a switch. Um, and then praying over the kid and being like, you know, that hurt me as much as it hurt you. And she's talking about how this is rooted in white supremacism and, um, uh, white supremacism and, and, uh, this format of, of white God Christianity. And that's, that's something in especially black communities. Like this, this is still, this is still a really big thing. It's very accepted in so many black communities. The, beyond spanking your kid, but straight up physical abuse of your kid is the way to teach them. And there's no evidence, none that shows that this is good for their spirits, for their bodies, for, for learning what you actually want them to learn. And it's, it's, uh, it shocked me that like I was listening to this book and like this amazing experience she was having and like this, this fiery fight she was having. And then she, you know, that came up and I was like, Oh, this is, this is just against everything in our spirits to take something so pure, like a child and crack them over the head or abuse them in in any way because they're being the free open being who's new at being a human in this iteration of, of their journey. It doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. The more I read about it, the more I learn just like you from like indigenous elders or like read about it or have people break down where it comes from. I'm just like, how, how, like, I hope that we can all see this. It's so important that we all see this for what it is. And that's where as well, the cultural competency and the representation is so important in the parenting education field because it is predominantly overrepresented by white women. Uh, Yeah. And there's amazing, um, amazing black mom and parent educators who are doing amazing work in the field. I don't know if you follow parenting decolonized and, um, yeah, how important that 
the cultural competency and representation is for the healing of the way we're raising children. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Thank you for bringing that into the, um, into our conversation. And there was something that you said before that I, I really want to ask you about, you were talking about like the discipline of limited potential, I think. Um, and this is something that we've talked about before. Could you, I feel like this is a, maybe a cornerstone or a tenet or, or like a major part of your own philosophy and on how you help and guide. Uh, could you tell us a little more about that? Cause you said discipline is to learn. So, you know, I didn't know that. So I'm, I'm like all ears and open and wanting to know more. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of it comes from growth mindset work that 20 years of uh, research that Dr. Carol Dweck did out of Stanford University. And so we're in this amazing time in, in human history where the brain science is now affirming what indigenous ways of life have always taught. Uh-huh. And um, with the growth mindset, it's like we we don't know the full potential of any of us when we have the support that we need. I look at parenting and behavior that it's all just an energy. Mm -hmm. So I work with a lot of strong-willed and highly sensitive children. And so as an energy, when parents find me, they're usually coming with power struggles and emotional explosions or breakdowns in their family. And I help them kind of the way when parents find me, I always say it's kind of like a ball of yarn that gets all tangled. And so Uh I work with the parents and connecting, even though I, I don't, I don't advertise this. I'm connecting with the spirit of the child. I always joke and say the parents are, I hiring me, but I, my promise is to your kids. I'm working for your kids, you know? <laughs> it's beautiful. And, yeah. And so then we come together where it's like with the happy home tools that I share, where we just write the energy because what is that one end of the spectrum is power struggles and emotional breakdowns or explosions. And then the other end of that is empathy and empowerment. So I help families kind of write that course based on what each unique family needs to, to get there. Um, and then that really is unlimited potential of the child. And then within ourselves, because going through that process, parents, I'm, I'm not a therapist, but my programs are therapeutic by the very nature of parenting as healing, that yeah. when we meet our children's unmet need we're also meeting our unmet needs from our own childhood experiences. Ah. So there's future present day and past healing that's going on. Um, yeah. So really seeing. <laughs> oh, I, I, I was, I'm just like over here writing some of this stuff down because <laughs> it's so, it's so organic, Megan, what you're talking about. It's like, it's like obvious in a way, I, and by obvious, I don't mean to um, degradate what your your work and what you're saying. I'm just saying, like, it just sounds like, duh. That's the conceptually, that's like 
freeing and it feels like it's full of love and healing. And, and when it has that feeling of obviousness, it's like, it's because it rings in my soul as like, oh, this is true. Yeah, this is, oh, this is something I can relieve into, you know, it's, doesn't mean it's not work, but, you know, to create that, but it, uh, I really appreciate you breaking what you're talking about down because honestly, like if I saw the word discipline, I just feel like the old way of thinking of what that is. Right. Right. Yeah. And there is so much, you know, that discipline that is rooted in fear or is it rooted in trust? Uh, are we, uh. Yeah. Are we, are we connecting with our inherent and universal goodness within us as, as a human? Are we, seeing that in our children are we moving from that place of trust and discipline is teaching what children can do what are the family values that yeah. this challenge is an opportunity to develop what are those virtues those life yeah. characteristics what's the positive behavior and so you know parenting has been so stressful it always is but a <laughs> especially the last two years, you know, that a lot of parents are just on a negative feedback loop. And that is no fault of any parent. That is a reflection of the stress and the lack of support for parents. But that opportunity is always there of really that unlimited potential when we can root into the positive, when each parent can trust um, themselves and trust their kids. I always say, I'm not the expert. I'm here to bring out each parent's expertise, teach them how mm. to be the leader that they're here to be. So then they can do the same for their children. It's not, yeah. and parents usually say, oh, it, it, it is, it's not always easy because um, stress levels and what parents have experienced in their own childhoods, but it's simple, it's straightforward and affirms the wisdom that's already within us. You know, I, I love it's just like, uh, there's this quote and it's, I've seen it in many different ways in, in different philosophies. It's basically know thyself. Mm. And, um, and it's interesting because one thing I've heard mothers especially say, I mean, I think this is probably for fathers too, but I, I hear a lot from moms is like, like when you have kids, it's, it's an extension of you. And I heard you earlier say, Megan, that there's this, you know, it was almost sounded like you were talking about animus. Like there's this energy, uh, this, this is actually an energy, a live energy of how you create the home. And it's, it's like, really, I don't have this experience, but the experience that's been communicated to me is like, you have these kids and it's really you, it's, it's, it's you which is one of the reasons they reflect, you know, they reflect back to you. You know, they bring out all your stuff, all your stuff, kids. <laughs> There's nothing left unturned with children. And so I'm watching families. And I think probably parents are more consciously aware of this thing than kids are. I'm watching families that are like, the kids are just like extensions of them. It's like an appendage without actually being attached to you. And what better way to interact with that than coming back to the most organic ways to being aware of the energy of you being one, um, of being one of many, you know, but like one big ball of like, uh, like in one organism, 
I feel like when you're talking, like that's how I'm starting to look at a family. It's, it's one organism. We're all in this together. You know, if, if this one is hurting over here, we're hurting up here. If this one is experiencing joy, we all ex- can be in this joy. We form this together. It's not just about the parents saying this, this, and this in an authoritarian way. It's like, how can the parent do this the best way for themselves like they have their own inherent wisdom and that's that's a very integral part of this organism it's not going to work to take some foreign foreign idea or foreign philosophy that doesn't make sense and uh, to that person or doesn't fit with this organism and try to imply it because then it's going to it's going to rupture and it's going to you know be corrupted it's it's so very organic and and um it's just or like it feels so good when you talk about it to me Yeah. I love what you were saying. Um, yeah. It's like families are like ecosystems. Yeah. And you know, that's, yeah. (laughs) I mean, you, you exactly, you said it. I mean, um, and that's why I love early childhood because Mm -hmm. what we know about kids under, especially under two, but under three, Mm -hmm. they, they live in oneness. They live Mm -hmm. in being, there's, they live in the moment, they live in feeling. Mm. And they also, part of that, they see themselves as one with the caregiver. Uh-huh. So yeah. that's why early childhood in, is the, the easiest for me to support because once I help the parent align, you're just, the parent is, parenting is always modeling, but once the parent realizes, just model the behavior, take care of ourselves, right? Give ourselves grace when we're not able to be in a place of positive modeling because those ruptures and connection, the brain sciences, they're always going to be there. We're, we're robots. We're not humans. And when we can just simply model the behavior that we want to see in our children, that's when, I mean, it's so easy with the little ones because if we're modeling it, their, their brains read it as they're doing it. And wow. what another time parents find me is these stages of individuation where the child is separating from the parent, right? Because they need, because they ultimately are separate beings. And we know like our yeah. kids, are who they are when they're born, when they come yes. here. Yes. And so it's this, again, like the, it's both, right? That like we're one, the oneness, and then also the respecting. I love that um, Sweet Honey in the Rock does, oh, Rumi again, our children, they are not our children. They are the sons mm-hmm. and daughters of love. Like that's just, we're just a vehicle mm-hmm. for our kids to... Mm-hmm to be who they are. And so within that, we can get tripped up in a lot of different areas because what was going on in our homes when our brains, like up to 90% of brain development happens in the first five years of life, right? So what was happening, you know, during those formative times, because we know that the human brain neuroplasticity, the brain can change throughout our entire lives. But what happens when we have to yet, yet if we can get it quote right for our kids in those early years, then they don't have to do a lot of interpersonal healing work that that (laughs) a lot of us have had to do right now. (laughs) Right. Um, Oh, that's beautiful. And um, yeah, that it is that journey that the challenges, you know, again, with that limitless possibility that our challenges in our children's behavior are the ways that we're learning and growing as Mm. adults. 
Mm-hmm. And healing. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I feel like that's really relieving that, but also I have a friend who has been very, she's similar to you in, in her focus and, and the way that she interacts with her child and she is emotionally exhausted because she has a very strong willed like warrior in her house. And those, those first, like, I think like six, seven years were very difficult for her because she was, she had not done her own interpersonal work and she realized her child made her realize that she probably needs to. And so she was doing that breaking of cycles and understanding, understanding boundaries and finding out like, you know, what triggers her to be in certain behaviors that make her life harder, that kind of thing. At the same time of doing her very best. And I think she did a really great job of helping her, helping her child embody the values and embody uh, certain ways of being, uh, and it was very, very difficult for her. And the whole time she was saying things like, I don't, I think I'm screwing it up. I think they're not getting it. I think I'm, I'm, cause the kid was always, always, you know, pushback. But then something happened at nine years old. And I, I know that nine is sort of that there's like a big thing that happens where they start getting very much more individual. Nine and 10 is, is a big age for that. And all of a sudden at what fourth grade I think she was in, she turned nine or she turned, she was about to turn 10 and was like, so became so grounded, still had that wild spirit, but in the, the sort of, yes, you can hang out with your friend without me more. You can, you know, giving her these, these, sort of independence and hearing more back from teachers. And she was now part of communities where parents didn't sit in on the whole, you know, Girl Scouts or whatever. The parents didn't sit in on the whole thing and you kind of drop your kids off and just more individual. She was getting this feedback where it was like this kid. She was like, I don't worry about my kid. I don't worry about them setting their own boundaries. I don't worry about their emotional intelligence. Like I still, she was saying like, I still, of course, I'm always there. And so I'm teaching them and stuff like that. But I can see the results of some of this really difficult work that we did together in these, in these formative years. And I see it too. I was like, you're doing a great job. What are you talking? You know, I'm on the outside. It's easy for me. I'm on the outside. (laughs) I sleep at night. (laughs) But, um, I've seen, and I know you've seen many, the, the results of, of really focusing on this interaction, these engagements with, with kids, it really does pay off in the future. It really forms who they are and it it can, it can be hard for some parents, but it's, I think it's worth it. And I think it's worth it for this world. It's true. And the, the reality is what's the alternative, you know, with kids, you put in the time now, you put in the time later, you do the work now, you do the work later. And so let's put in the time in a, in a positive way. Let's do our own yeah. inner work. I mean, I'm, I'm the example that my parents couldn't do their work, you know, so we're, mm-hmm. we're the generation that is doing the work for them. And we don't want to pass that 
negative legacy onto our children. And so that is a great, I mean, I'm really celebrating your friend and I, because when that happens and, and then everything does click, then it's like, yeah, you know, it's like, we've been doing this work for a reason and we've been doing it. I don't want to use the word doing it right. Cause it's not about that, yes. but obviously your, your friend, or maybe it is, maybe we just need to say that, like, I, I go into that because it sounds like judgment that we're trying to get away from, but I think it's important to say that there is a right way for every family. And we want to stay on the path. We want to stay on the path that Mm -hmm. is the right road for, for family. Yeah. Yeah. And I just have this, I have this, uh, vision of like with your personality and the, you know, the work that you're bringing and the way you, you, you approach, I just have this vision of a family. Like after you're done, you like leave the house and you say goodbye and you close the gate. And then behind you, there's like this family, like levitating, like (laughs) (laughs) they're like, bye, we understand. We got it now. (laughs) I love that. And you know, it's, it's interesting just based on, I remember one dad I was working with, he was like, Megan, you really have an interesting skill set, you know? <laughs> and I feel like, you know, going back to the life and, and the purpose um, and my childhood experiences, I also really want to honor and give respect to that. Yes, I've I've had a lot of I've been privileged to have a lot of wonderful educational traditional educational experiences, but really it's the the educational experiences with um, you know my spiritual teachers mm-hmm. um, that have allowed me to to do this work, and because I also experienced high stress in my parenting when my son was little, yeah, domestic violence, all that, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. I called my I didn't call the domestic violence crisis line. I called I called my my elders and my teachers. So I just really wow. want to give respect um, and just a a real deep honoring. And when, you know, we have a a world where people who are leading can be fully compensated for the work that they're doing, then that's when a lot of things can really shift. That's a whole other conversation. And we'll get, maybe you'll come back and we'll get to that. I'd love to have you back and we can get to that because that's, we could talk forever on that. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. So, um, a couple more questions. The first one is if the Megan Barella of 20 years ago walked into your dwelling right now and wanted to talk to you, what would you say to her? Oh my goodness. I would say you can have fun right now and do not lose your drive. Do not lose your drive. I was so driven as a young child and somehow, you know, that balance, like I've had to mellow out and learn how to relax. But then one of my friends said, Portland's like a couch. <laughs> like I'm from New York, even though I'm not from the city, I'm from upstate New York. People are direct. They are yes. driven. Yep. And yes, I mean, yes. That, no means no. What? Yeah, exactly. And they'll tell you what, you know, and there's, there's loyalty, there's, you know, mm-hmm. there's respect, all of that. So I think have more fun and don't lose your drive. Don't lose mm-hmm. your drive. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> 
Okay, just I have to say this for those of you who who don't know Portland, because we do have a lot of people outside Portland and also international uh, listeners. Uh, Portland really is like a couch. Like there are jokes about people losing their backbone when they get here. But in Portland, like yes means maybe no is like offensive. It's very like it can be sometimes kind of wishy-washy here. It's just like laid back almost to the point of of not greatness. <laughs> There's also a lot of great things about Portland. I love Portland. There's so many weird things and fun things and lots of really interesting art and people, lots of healing arts, but, but there's something strange about a little strange about some of the interpersonal skills in Portland, (laughs) just for some context. Thank you. (laughs) Portlandia, the show is actually not an exaggeration. (laughs) It's funny. I haven't watched that. And then, you know, back to our early conversation. That's the thing. I think I just need to cancel my Netflix for a while. I don't even know what Portlandia streams up, but they're like, oh, there's another series I can start watching. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah. After the conversation we had here, I am suggesting something to binge. So just, I just wanted to circle. I just had an aha, like maybe, you know, the Netflix, like the medication, you know, maybe it's all just, it's been okay because it has been a really painful couple of years. And so Mm -hmm. it's okay that we've wanted to zone out from it. It's just, when is that no longer serving me, you know, because I'm really working on it. So I just wanted to share that. Yeah. You know, I, I think you said something that, that got to that, that got that point across earlier and I'm glad you're bringing it back. And it's something I really like about you is, is, you know, we're not here for judgment. There are things that we see that work and don't work that are aligned with us and don't that aren't aligned with us. And, and I think you're very, um, I think you're very consistent and, and, um, open to recognizing that we are human beings and, you know, there, there are things that we're working through and, and sometimes we do need those crutches and it's, it's okay. And this is what it is. And now if you want something different, we focus on something different. Like, I I feel like that's the energy that you carry and it's beautiful because it, it's open and it's a place, if it's open, it's a place where people can heal wherever that, you know, whatever, wherever that takes them. So thank you for, for bringing that up. And now I don't feel as bad about recommending Portlandia. Everyone. (laughs) I'm like, how? Of course, me in my mind, I'm like, I live in Portland. How have I never watched Portlandia? You gotta start watching me. (laughs) See, but this is here's here's something. You don't actually need to watch it because you live here, so you already know. Thank you. Thank you. Exaggeration is like just basically they could go around with cameras on the street. That's that's really the show. (laughs) Okay. So Megan, what is your blessing for this world? My blessing would come from um my spiritual teacher, um, Sri Sarada Devi, she was lived in the 1890s and her last words to humanity and just an incarnation of the divine feminine. Mm -hmm. Um, she lived in Calcutta, um, was, um, if you want peace, do not find fault with others, rather look within, um, no one is a stranger, my child. The whole world is your own. And then I always just, I always end up crying. I can't, mm-hmm. you know, because it just really touches me that, mm-hmm. you know, we are like in this time of disconnect on so many levels. Now I feel silly crying, but it's just, no, you know, I have tears in my eyes too. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, 
And it's interesting that you said about the judgment because, or non-judgment and the compassion, because I feel like that's just a great example of, you know, my own life, like the energy, because Mm. I have, I am very, I've been very judgmental in my life and in my closest family relationships as part of my survival. And that is just an energy. When I righted that, I realized, oh, that was how the trauma and distorted my gifts that actually I have a well of compassion that isn't mine that you know comes from I believe you know from my connection with the divine mother and Mm -hmm. you know that I never have to close that off and you know it's it's just my full human experience it's like that I do close off from that because I'm scared but it's like be scared all I want from this earthly reality, but don't, don't be scared of the divine. Ooh, Megan, thank you. Thank you. That's wise. I, I'm just going to breathe for a minute. Thank you for this journey that you've been on and sharing with us. And you know, you are an example of how when we heal ourselves, it heals the world because you share and you help where it's needed and um, your passion and your energy can be felt. And I'm, I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful that you're on this journey and I'm grateful that you shared with us. And um, I'm so appreciative that you said yes to spending time with me on the woke wisdom podcast as well. I just, I received that and, and thank you. And, you know, thank you. Just like so much gratitude for the space you hold your vision with the woke wisdom podcast for inviting me on as a guest. Um, and really for the space that you hold the healing space. I mean, you are, like you are a balm to the soul in those like healing waters and that space. And you're bringing that here. I, I haven't been able to tell my story and connect different aspects of my life. Though way I have, this is really like, this is it for integration. And so thank you too, because you're contributing to the movement to help children because um, you know, there's this, the brain science teaches that when we have a coherent narrative of our life experiences, that's the indicator of our children's attachment to us, to their secure, like to their emotional well-being and mental health. And so this opportunity to share not only has it brought healing to my own life, it's, it's helping my son and it's also allowing me even more bandwidth um, to support the families that I serve. So I just, I can't, you know, just so much gratitude. So thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Megan Barella. I'm inspired. I hope you are too. Go and hug those little ones after this. We put all of Megan's contact info in the show notes. Please go check her out. You will love what she's putting out there into the world. And friends, please, I ask for your support for this podcast. If you could, please go and leave ratings and especially reviews for us wherever you are listening to the podcast. It helps us get these messages out in a tremendous way. It's just a few clicks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And before we go... Megan has an offering for us, so let's listen together. 
a happy home blessing for connection. You are the foundation for your happy home. Stress and unmet basic needs are always the problem, not you and your children. All the parenting wisdom in the world already lives within you. Together, we unlock the eternal well of wisdom, strengths, and gifts that are already within you. When you feel like an amazing parent, you are an amazing parent. It's that simple. Our goal is to help you live in a place of connection with your best and highest self throughout the everyday moments of parenting and life. To create a reality where your basic needs as a parent are met and you have access to the support and tools you need to thrive. And when times are stressful, you give yourself the wise permission to lower expectations for yourself and your children, to do less, not more, and to focus on maintaining connection with your best and highest self. You create those loving and firm boundaries to safeguard your time, energy, and gifts. So when life is stressful, you cultivate calmness and felt safety within you to ride the waves of stress and high emotions and be that unconditional, compassionate, and strong rock of support for your children. This is what your children need most from you. Your connection, the gift of you, your presence and positive relationship that is the building block for their brains, bodies, and heart. You are the balmy breeze to their high emotions and stress. You are their rock. Our happy home blessing for you is that you support yourself like the gift you are, that you nourish yourself like you do your children, that you stay connected to your place of wisdom and strength to guide you throughout the everyday moments of parenting and life. And you remember that you are the greatest blessing to your children and to the next generation. The original and healthy beats for this podcast were created by Quincy Davis. His details are in the show notes. Woke Wisdom podcast episodes are written, hosted, produced, and edited by me, Alexandra Loves. My guests, of course, bring their own wisdom. If you have any questions you want me to answer on the podcast, you can email me at wokewisdompodcast at gmail.com or even better, text the podcast at 601-301-6974. I would be so grateful if you helped me share these messages far and wide by boosting the podcast with good reviews on Apple Podcasts or by sharing the episodes with friends and groups and families on social media. That would be so awesome. It just takes a few moments and a few clicks. Click, 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 click. Be blessed and I'll see you next week. Oh, one more thing. They told me I needed a disclaimer, so cue the music. Let's do this. The information in all podcast episodes and corresponding materials, the Woke Wisdom Podcast with Alexandra Loves, are provided for general informational and explorative purposes only. It is not professional advice. 
Any content provided by Alexander Loves, guests, bloggers, sponsors, or authors are of their own opinion and not intended to defame, slander, or malign any person, place, or thing. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or attached material. Alexandra Loves and her guests are not therapists, counselors, physicians, unless otherwise stated. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast or corresponding materials to treat any mental, physical, or medical condition in either yourself or others. Please seek out appropriate professionals for help. Privacy matters to the Woke Wisdom Podcast. People, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast may be changed to protect confidentiality. Through this podcast and corresponding materials, you're able to link to other websites, which are not under the control of this podcast or Alexandra Loves. The inclusion of any links does not necessarily imply a recommendation or endorse the views expressed within them. In no event is the Woke Wisdom Podcast or Alexandra Loves liable for any loss or damage, including without limitation, indirect or consequential loss or damage, or any loss and damage whatsoever arising from your interaction with this podcast or corresponding materials. This podcast and all corresponding materials should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. This podcast and all corresponding material is owned and copyrighted by Alexandra Loves. You are welcome to download and play the podcast and share with others for personal use. Please acknowledge the Woke Wisdom Podcast with Alexandra Loves as the source of the material. You may not accept without our express written permission, distribute or commercially exploit the content. Email wokewisdompodcast at alexandraloves.com to attain written permission.